Hello, my lovelies. Welcome back to Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane and our third tale from Welsh mythology. Before we dive into the story today, I want to take just a moment to tell you guys about my next tier on my Patreon. It is the Phoenix tier, and it is a $10 a month pledge. Now, with the Phoenix tier, you get access to the story, you get access to my Mythology Monday posts, early access to Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane episodes, voting privileges on cultures that you would like to see explored through their, their stories and their folklore, as well as a patron-only Discord channel, a monthly video from moi, and a bonus episode a month, as well as an exclusive sticker. This podcast is wholly funded through my Patreon, and so I hope that you will consider going over to patreon.com forward slash Celosia Crane and becoming a patron. Now, let's get into this week's story. This week, we are going to be reading the story, The Mighty Monster Afeng. After the Kimrick folk, that is, the people we call Welsh, had come up from Cornwall into their new land, they began to cut down the trees, to build towns, and to have fields and gardens. Soon they made the landscape smile with pleasant homes, rich farms, and playing children. They trained vines and made flowers grow. The young folk made pets of the wild animals' cubs, which their fathers and big brothers brought home from hunting. Old men took rushes and reeds and wove them into cages for songbirds to live in. While they were draining the swamps and bogs, they drove out the monsters that had made their lair in these wet places. These terrible creatures liked to poison people with their bad breath and even ate up very little boys and girls when they strayed away from home. So all the face of the open country between the forests became very pretty to look at. The whole of Kimrick land, which then extended from the northern Grampian Hills to Cornwall, and from the Irish Sea, past their big fort, afterward called London, even to the edge of the German Ocean, became a delightful place to live in. The lowlands and the rivers in which the tide rose and fell daily were especially attractive. This was chiefly because of the many bright flowers growing there. Well, the yellow gorse and the pink heather made the hills look as lovely as a young girl's face. Besides this, the Kimrick maidens were the prettiest ever, and the lads were all brave and healthy. Well, both of these knew how to sing often and well. Now, there was a great monster named Afeng that lived in a big bog, hidden among the high hills and inside of a dark, rough forest. This ugly creature had an iron-clad back and a long tail that could wrap itself around a mountain. It had four front legs with big knees that were bent up like a grasshopper's, but were covered with scales like armor. These were as hard as steel and bulged out at the thighs. Along its back was a ridge of horns, like spines, and higher than an alligator's. Against such a tough hide, when the hunters shot their darts and hurled their javelins, 
these weapons fell down to the ground like harmless pins. On this monster's head were big ears, halfway between those of a jackass and an elephant. Its eyes were as green as leeks and were round, but scalloped on the edges, like squashes, while they were as big as pumpkins. The Afang's face was much like a monkey's or a gorilla's, with long, straggling gray hairs around its cheeks like those of a walrus. It always looked as if a napkin as big as a bath towel would be necessary to keep its mouth clean. Yet, even then, it slobbered a good deal, so that no nice fairy liked to be near the monster. When the Afang growled, the bushes shook and the oak leaves trembled on the branches, as if a strong wind was blowing. But after its dinner, when it had swallowed down a man, or two calves, or four sheep, or a fat heifer, or three goats, its body swelled up like a balloon. Then it usually rolled over, lay along the ground or in the soft mud, and felt very stupid and sleepy for a long while. All around its lair lay wagon loads of bones of the creatures, girls, women, men, boys, cows, and occasionally a donkey, which it had devoured. But when the Afang was ravenously hungry and could not get these animals, and when nice fat girls and careless boys were scarce, it would live on birds, beasts, and fishes. Although it was very fond of cows and sheep, yet the wool and hair of these animals stuck in its big teeth. It often felt very miserable, and its usually bad temper grew worse. Then, like a beaver, it would cut down a tree, sharpen it to a point, and pick its teeth until its mouth was clean. Yet it seemed all the more hungry and eager for fresh human victims to eat, especially juicy maidens. Just as children like cake more than bread, the Kimrick men were not surprised at this, for they knew that girls were very sweet and they almost worshipped them. So they learned to guard their daughters and wives. They saw that to do such things as eating up people was in the nature of the beast, which could never be taught good manners. But what made them mad beyond measure was the trick which the monster often played upon them by breaking the river banks and the dikes which, with great toil, they had built to protect their crops. Then the waters overflowed all their farms, ruined their gardens, and spoiled their cowhouses and stables. This sort of mischief the Afang liked to play, especially about the time when the oat and barley crops were ripe and ready to be gathered to make cakes and flummery. That is, sour oat jelly or pap. So it often happened that the children had to do without their cookies and porridge during the winter. Sometimes the floods rose so high as to wash away the houses and float the cradles. Even those with little babies in them were often seen on the raging waters and sent dancing on the waves down the river to the sea. Once in a while, a mother cat and all her kittens were seen mewing for help or a lady dog howling piteously. Often it happened that both puppies and kittens were drowned. So, 
Whether for men or mothers, pussies or puppies, the Kimrick men thought the time had come to stop this monster's mischief. It was bad enough that people should be eaten up, but to have all their crops ruined and animals drowned, so that they had to go hungry all winter, with only a little fried fish and no turnips, was too much for human patience. There were too many weeping mothers and sorrowful fathers, and squalling brats and animals whining for something to eat. Besides, if all the oats were washed away, how could their wives make flummery, without which no Kimrick man is ever happy? And where would they get seed for another year's sowing? And if there were no cows, how could the babies or kitties live, or any grown-up person get buttermilk? Someone may ask, why did not some brave man shoot the Efang with a poisoned arrow, or drive a spear into him under the arms where the flesh was tender, or cut off his head with a sharp sword? The trouble was just here. There were plenty of brave fellows ready to fight the monster, but nothing made of iron could pierce that hide of his. This was like armor, or one of the steel battleships of our day and the Afang always spit out fire or poison breath down the road, up which a man was coming, long before the brave fellow could get near him. Nothing would do but to go up into his lair and drag him out. But what man or company of men was strong enough to do this, when a dozen giants in a gang with ropes as thick as a ship's hawser could hardly tackle the job? Nevertheless, in what neither man nor giant could do, a pretty maiden might succeed. True, she must be brave also, for how could she know, but if hungry, the Afang might eat her up. However, one valiant damsel of great beauty, who had lots of perfumery and plenty of pretty clothes, volunteered to bind the monster in his lair. She said, I am not afraid. Her sweetheart was named Gadern, and he was a young and strong hunter. He talked over the matter with her, and they two resolved to act together. Gadern went all over the country, summoning the farmers to bring their ox teams and log chains. Then he set the blacksmiths to work forging new and especially heavy ones made of the best native iron from the mines for which Wales is still famous. Meanwhile, the lovely maiden arrayed herself in her prettiest clothes, dressed her hair in the most enticing way, hanging a white blossom on each side over her ears, with one flower also at her neck. When she had perfumed her garments, she sallied forth and up the lake where the big bog and the waters were, and where the monster hid himself. While the maiden was still quite a distance away, the terrible Afang, scenting his visitor from afar, came rushing out of his lair. When very near, he reared his head high in the air, expecting to pounce on her, with his iron-clad claws and at one swallow make a breakfast of the girl. But the odors of her perfumes were so sweet that he forgot what he had thought to do. Moreover, when he looked at her, he was so taken with unusual beauty that he flopped at once on his forefeet. Then 
He behaved just like a lovelorn beau when his best girl comes near. He ties his necktie and pulls down his coat and brushes off the collar. So the Yafang began to spruce up. It was real fun to see how a monster behaves when smitten with love for a pretty girl. He had no idea how funny he was. The girl was not at all afraid, but smoothed the monster's back, stroked and played with its big mustaches, and tickled its neck until the Afang's throat actually gurgled with a laugh. Pretty soon he guffawed. He was so delighted. When he did this, the people down in the valley thought it was thunder, though the sky was clear and blue. The maiden tickled his chin and even put up his whiskers and curl papers. Then she stroked his neck so that his eyes closed. Soon she had gently lulled him to slumber by singing a cradle song, which her mother had taught her. This she did so softly and sweetly that in a few minutes with its head in her lap the monster was sound asleep and even began to snore. Then, quietly, from their hiding places in the bushes, Gadern and his men crawled out. When near the dreaded Afang, they stood up and sneaked forward very softly on tiptoe. They had wrapped the links of the chain in grass and leaves so that no clanking was heard. They also held the oxen's yoke so that nobody or anything could rattle or make any noise. Slowly but surely, they passed the chain over its body in the middle, besides binding the brute securely between its fore and hind legs. All this time the monster slept on, for the girl kept on crooning her melody. When the forty yoke of oxen were all harnessed together, the drovers cracked all their whips at once, so that it sounded like a clap of thunder. And the whole team began to pull together. Then the Afing woke with a start. The sudden jerk roused the monster to wrath, and its bellowing was terrible. It rolled round and round and dug its four sets of toes, each with three claws, every one as big as a plowshare, into the ground. It tried hard to crawl into its lair or slip into the lake. Finding that neither was possible, the Afang looked about for some big tree to wrap its tail around. But all his writhings or plungings were of no use. The drovers plied their whips and the oxen kept on with one long pull together and forward. They strained so hard that one of them dropped its eye out. This formed a pool, and to this day they call it the pool of the ox's eye. It never dries up or overflows, though the water in it rises and falls as regularly as the tides. For miles over the mountains the sturdy oxen hauled the monster. The pass over which they toiled and strained so hard is still named the Pass of the Oxen's Slope. When going downhill, the work of dragging the Afang was easier. In a great hole in the ground, big enough to be a pond, they dumped the carcass of the Afang, and soon a little lake was formed. This uncanny bit of water is called the Lake of the Green Well. It is considered dangerous for man or beast to go too near it. Birds do not like to fly over the surface, and when sheep tumble in, they sink to the bottom at once. 
If the bones of the Afang still lie at the bottom, they must have sunk down very deep, for the monster had no more power to get out or to break the river banks. The farmers no longer cared anything about the creature, and they hardly ever think of the old story, except when a sheep is lost. As for Gattern and his brave and lovely sweetheart, they were married and lived long and happily. Their descendants, in the thirty-seventh generation, are proud of the grand exploit of their ancestors. While all the farmers honor his memory and bless the name of the lovely girl that put the monster to sleep. And that, my lovelies, is the end of the mighty monster Afeng. And here's something that I personally found amusing about this story. The final line about honoring his memory and blessing her name. What do you think her name was? For it is never mentioned in this telling of the story. That is all for this week. I hope you enjoyed it and will come back next week for our fourth Welsh tale, The Maiden of the Green Forest. Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane is produced solely through the support of my patrons on Patreon. To become a patron for as little as $1 a month, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash Celosia Crane. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at Celosia Crane underscore author. Link is in the show notes.